Well, good morning again, church. Good morning. I'd like to start off our, our message today with, with a little um, Nazarene trivia knowledge for those of us who are part of the Church of the Nazarene. So how many of you think you can name all the articles of faith, or how many of you even know how many articles of faith that we have? Is there anybody here? I, I'm with you. That's not something most of us know off the top of our heads, but in case you wanted to know, there are 16 articles of faith that articulate what we believe as Nazarenes and why we believe it. Once a year, I have the opportunity to go to our district credentials board to renew my license as a district pastor. It often involves them asking questions about my continued education, ministry experience here at Battle Creek First Church, and articulating our articles of faith. In fact, I just had my interview this past Tuesday, so some of these ideas are very fresh in my head after those questions. Something that helps me remember our articles of faith as Nazarenes is actually going through one of our worship songs. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Scriptures inerrantly revealing the will of God in all things pertaining to salvation. Well, that's not actually in the song, but that is Article 4, if you were wondering. One article in particular I've always found difficult to put into words to make that make sense, if that makes sense, is Article 10, Sanctification. One year I even made the mistake of saying something along the lines, and this is, do not remember this part today because this is the wrong definition. I said sanctification is doing your best to be like Christ, participating in the means of grace in your daily life. Now, yes, we do want to participate in the means of grace, fellowship with others, practicing our spiritual disciplines, developing our relationship with God. However, that year I missed a vital part of the meaning of sanctification. It's not what you do to be like God. It's not by your own efforts that you are sanctified. It is the work that God does in you that transforms you into the likeness of Christ. While there's more to Article 10, I won't forget that main point again for sanctification. And just to help us all remember what sanctification is, our passage this morning shows another example of the difference between thinking that you are like God by your own means and being transformed by God into his likeness. This morning, our scripture comes in a three-part story, so I'm not going to have it up on the screen because I would really like you to imagine this scene with me. If you'd like to read along in your Bibles or your digital Bibles, the passage is from John 9, verses 1 through 41. Again, that passage is John 9, 1 through 41 if you're looking it up, but if not, please imagine this scene with me. I will tell it in three parts. Part 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with his saliva. He put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went, and he washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begged, asking, 
isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he replied. Part two of our story. They brought the Pharisees, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now on the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath day. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man does not come from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So the Pharisees were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, ask, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man Jesus is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Part three and our final part of the story today. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. 
Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. In our scripture this morning, if you, if you haven't heard, there's a lot of questioning going along between the disciples, the neighbors, the Pharisees, and it seems to be over and over again. This blind man, this man who was blind, is being questioned. The disciples were the first one to ask the question, Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents? They're equating sin with his moral choices here, that there must have been practices of sin either by him or his parents for this man's physical blindness. Jesus challenges the disciples' assumed connection between sin and his health. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, he replies. Jesus doesn't explain why the man was blind, why he was born blind, but he claimed he was blind so that the works of God might be revealed in this man, that the works of God would be revealed in one that the people had deemed a sinner. Jesus heals this man, simply not restoring simply his sight, but by creating his sight. We can compare this to what we know from the beginning of creation in Genesis, when God creates man. God does not restore life into man. God creates life in man by breathing life into man. So Jesus created sight in this man. The neighbors are the second to ask questions, trying to determine, is this man who can see the same man who used to sit here and beg? The man who used to be blind replies, I am the man. He tells them that Jesus is the one who healed them, though he doesn't know where he has gone. He's not embellishing. He's not leaving out of the story. He's simply telling them his testimony of what he knows that Jesus has done. The man is brought before the Pharisees who ask the third questions. The Pharisees believe Jesus broke the Sabbath law by this healing. This man's testimony of being healed on the Sabbath results in division among the Pharisees. Is if Jesus was or was, wasn't from God. On the one hand, a representative of God would never break the Sabbath. But on the other, only one with God's authority could heal a man who was born blind. So we have the disciples who question the man's morality. We have the neighbors who question the man's testimony. The Pharisees questioning his testimony. And now they're even sending for another witness, his parents. Now there are no identified witnesses to the actual miracle except for the man himself. But the Pharisees no longer want proof the man can see. They now want to know, was he ever blind? The same question the neighbors were asking in the beginning, is this the same man who was blind or can he already see? The parents confirm the identity of their son, that he was born blind, he can now see. But they don't know how he can see now. After all these questions, the man is summoned again to the Pharisees and they say, give glory to God or in other words, tell us the truth. The Pharisees claim they know Jesus was a sinner after all, he healed on the Sabbath. The man did not know whether the Pharisees were correct or not. But what he did know was his own experience. I was blind, but now I see. The once blind man received insight from God while his opponents remained blind. This healed man claimed God listens to whoever fears God and does his will. If this man weren't from God, he couldn't do anything. 
The healed man not only aligned himself with Jesus, but his actions mirrored those of Jesus. He gave faithful testimony. He emphasized the deeds Jesus performed were from God, and he ended up opposed by those who would not hear his proclamation. Jesus, we know, is the good shepherd who seeks out his own. He heard that the healed man was thrown out and offers him the opportunity to become part of his flock. A healed man shows an openness to faith and asks, who is the son of man so that he may believe in him? Jesus reveals that he is the son of man. And the healed man declares, Lord, I believe. And he worships Jesus. Jesus says to the doubters that he came into the world for the purpose of judgment. That as the light, he reveals what is truly darkness, separating the light from the dark. It distinguishes those who have received the light and those who reject it. The beggar received divine revelation, and his healing exposed the blindness of those in positions of authority who refused to believe in Jesus revealing God. Have there ever been times where you've judged something by the surface, by judging a book by the cover, or a movie by its trailer, a product on Amazon based on the reviews before you buy it? Whether we mean to or not, we make assumptions based on looks all the time in our daily lives, even including people. The disciples made an assumption between the blindness and sin, assuming that those who are blind have sinned. Jesus shows that assuming one is a sinner based on their physical appearance is mistaken. It's not the blind who have sinned. Those who have sinned have made themselves blind. Jesus brought God's love to enlighten all and bring them into salvation life. But those who oppose the light, the same light is blinding instead to them. Jesus' presence showed how people could bring judgment upon themselves by refusing to see beyond what they expected to see. While the Pharisees became hardened in their unbelief, the healed man grew in his faith. No amount of evidence was enough to persuade those who refused to believe. The blind man, known for begging, is transformed, even more than a person who can now see physically. He came to see and comprehend Jesus' true identity. He was invited to become a part of Jesus' flock that he shepherds. Sheep follow the shepherd who call them by name, and they are led to life. There is power in the shepherd's voice, and the sheep need to hear it. When Jesus speaks, all people hear him, but not everyone listens to him. Only those who are his sheep listen. Jesus not only teaches about sin and blindness, but also belief in him. Jesus brought God's love to enlighten all and bring them to salvation life. But to those who oppose the light, that same light is instead blinding. He provides light and life to those who walked in darkness. Blindness falls on those who denied God's light in Jesus. He reveals God's presence to the one who can see him. In this way, proclaiming himself to be the Messiah, the Son of Man. Do we see people as Jesus sees them. What do you see when you encounter the poor, the oppressed, those who are down on their luck, 
Do you see them in your daily lives? Do you encounter them? The disciples were more curious about the cause of the blind, man, of the blind man's condition rather than finding a solution. They saw the blind man's suffering as an opportunity to talk about the moral failings of him. However, Jesus, he sees it as an opportunity for doing the good works of God, providing relief for the suffering. Reconsider who you call a sinner. We know the Pharisees were blind to their own sin. The healed man testified only what he knew to be the truth and what he could infer from his transforming experiences. The new life of the healed man is wholly different from his old life. He gained physical and spiritual insight. There is danger in assuming we know how God is at work. There's danger in assuming we know how God does what he does or what his intentions are. There's danger in overstating the certainty of our own opinion to persuade others, to affirm our own positions. Have you ever been so certain of your opinion like that before? Where you're trying to persuade others so ardently, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong at that point? Well, if you've ever had a Facebook, you've probably seen or done this before at some point. I know I have. In contrast, the man born blind continued to be open to and desperate for new experiences of God. He, and he received more than he could have ever dreamed of. The message today is this. Be open to and desperate for new experiences of God in your life. Allow God to transform you into his likeness rather than you trying on your own to be like God. Remember, this is what we talked about in the beginning of sanctification. It's not you trying to be like God. It is God transforming you to be like him. This starts with confession. Confess your sins and ask for God's forgiveness. Repent and turn away from your sin. Our spiritual practice for this week during Lent is confession and repentance. I encourage you to spend time in prayer with the Lord this week. Confess your sins daily. Repent daily. And be open, to God's be open to God transforming you every single day. Spend some time in prayer as a response today as we sing and reflect together. Let us pray together now. Almighty God, we know that we were lost in utter darkness. We know that we were bound by sin and you rescued us. Your love has come and set us free from our blindness. Thank you for the example of this blind man and his growing faith. We pray that we may follow his example and live our lives in complete submission to your indwelling Holy Spirit. Sanctify us, Lord, transforming us into your likeness. Give us the boldness to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim our testimonies of what you have done in our lives, sharing with others that you have placed in our paths. Help us to see people as you see them, to provide relief for the suffering, to do the works of God wherever we go. We pray that the good work that you started in us at salvation will be completed to your praise and glory at the coming of Christ. Amen.